Welcome to the Backwards Infect at Twitter and Gmail under that same name. I have just one question for you. How soon is now? How you doing, Luke? Good, good. Good to be with you this evening. How's it going? Good to be here. Good. Uh, jumping right into it, I wanted to start off with a contrast phrase, I guess, or question. Where is God? Where is God? Wow. We start off with some crazy questions that sent us into some deep conversations, but how does it not get any deeper than where is God? Um, Again, I'll take it back to the backwards nature, why that word is so big for me, because when I was a kid, I had moments when I was laying in my bed and I would look up at the moon through my window and I would ask questions like, where is God? There was two prominent questions and we were doing this podcast and I thought, wow, that's two things I asked a lot when I was a kid. One was who am I? And two was where is God? And in a, in a way that as you're taught as a kid, that there's a far away creator that if we put ourselves in a, in a certain situation or a certain light, he may hear us if we're noble enough or uh, obedient enough, you know, he may get our signals. He might hear our prayers. And after awakening, when I, when I got this knowing, I was like, my God, like, and it's almost like your story, like is right under your nose the whole time. And it kind of goes right in hand with the, who am I question? Because it's not one that you ever get an answer to, but it's one you get clarity and one that's obviously very difficult to put into words, but it is something that you get clarity on and you can further that clarity uh, day in and day out on the journey. Where is God? When I answered the question, I looked for the most authentic answers after that first awakening because it was so raw and those very first realizations are so powerful. Um, if you take it back to your awakening, those very first realizations, you're like, it really like, it's just boiling it down to, you know, when you get passed off for the first time, those clear, clear indicator indicators of what truth is, is kind of untainted. And then as you get on the path, you do involve other people and you get different opinions and, you know, it's, it's, it's a journey and it's an evolving journey, but man, though that first awakening, the truths are so raw and you get so much clarity. And I always go back to that time because when you have the contrast, there's no bigger contrast from asleep to awake. And I thought, well, man, I've been looking at this wrong the whole time. 
I've been looking at it wrong the whole time. And I, I knew that there was a door to something greater once I was shown the door. So I knew like, okay, something's up there. There probably is something mystical where we're not dealing with, you know, a fairy tale God. We're dealing with something on the level of omnificence. That's very heartwarming to, you know, if you're dealing with anxiety or depression, because now you're not like, oh, asking far out, please take this away from me. It's something that everything can be conquered within if you access it in in the correct way. So it was life-changing for me to understand that for some reason we are the in the image of, but possibly even like that itself, like created in multiple different versions of in his image, but as well the same image everyone having the ability to possess the same consciousness. So universe, one verse, one truth, and you can see it clearly, especially nowadays with the technology that we have, that there's evidence of that. You start to connect the dots too, because what's the first thing that when someone awakens, they're like, they're just grabbing at the truth. They're grabbing at wherever they can hear the truth because you know, there's a small percentage of the population that people lean on, they listen to, that helps them, that soothes them, you know, that agrees with what's inside them. So it's factual based as well. It's factual based by what resonates in your heart. Um, for me, it was a game changer, understanding what, where is God is, because as a little boy, I asked it, as a seed once again it was a seed and then i you know that's that seed took a long time to flower but once it did it was like that clarity came i'm like okay the where is god is not like stop looking for god way out there i mean there's a stupid movie uh, <laughs> about god i think it's called bruce almighty in morgan Freeman. yeah he's god in it yeah and it's yeah. just a funny comedy and it was a, it's a crazy scene though, because he's like the janitor in, uh, in this building. He's having a conversation with, uh, Bruce Almighty, who's been given the power of God. And, um, he said to him, he's like, everybody's looking up, everybody's looking up. And, and just those words alone, when you turn on the television and you watch like, especially in sports, like when they score a goal, they're always like pointing somewhere like, thank you far away. And I never can understand it. I can, no, I can understand that misguided nature. I'm not saying that, but that ability they're showing things like within, especially in basketball, you get in the zone, like you're showing the ability of having that inside you. And uh, the pointing up just seems like it, it just takes everything away. It was like, wow, like pointing up to that faraway God as if, first of all, it's interactive, but if you put it in terms of a faraway God, like no two shits about the three-pointer you just made. If you put it to within omnificence, he's playing the game. So it's, it's, uh, 
it's one of those strange things that when you wake up, man, who am I and and where is God are like, bam, crystal clear, not to the extent that I know exactly, but I do know it's an omnificent nature, an omnificent force and a flow um, that you can continue on that journey forever and ever. Yeah, it's it's fun. I almost like even have a problem with the word. Um, I know, like, there's a lot of the spiritual teachers talk about that, and it's it's just because it's so different than what I thought. Like, it's so different that I don't even like the word because the word just doesn't. It doesn't seem like it does it justice, and it it just seems like it the word itself just has so much conditioning that it, it like points you in the wrong direction. Like for you and I, I'm totally comfortable using the word God because I know where we're both coming from, but I can see where it gets like confusing for people. Cause I could have this like entire conversation and like, I don't need, I don't need God. It's just consciousness is just everything. So it's this, it's this weird, and I almost think like the pursuit or the the way people are drawn to God is like um, almost counterintuitive because it is it's so it's so you it's so close to you it's so deep inside you that like you there's you get thrown off its trail like with the mention of it being something in reference to like God. But when you say consciousness, like it's saying, Oh, consciousness is in me. I get it. But consciousness is also in all these other things. So I kind of have like a twofold, like I, for me personally, and of course, like talking to you, like I have no problem calling it God. But when you start to like analyze like Buddha, like Buddha never said God. Buddha never claimed God. I mean, he didn't use that word. He didn't use that word, I think, like for a reason. Because the other part of the awakening is, yeah, you kind of, you get um, understanding of what you and I would call God. But at the same time, there's this understanding of consciousness and like one of like the things in terms of like being agnostic that you're always wrestling with, especially like in this day and age, you're always asking, well, is consciousness emergent or not? Like, are you born, the brain develops and somewhere along the line, like consciousness like emerges out of that. But really the big reveal was like along those lines, like, Oh my God, consciousness is interacting with me and I can be aware of it. And then you, the realization is everything is consciousness. So the, the question from the agnostic point of view is consciousness emergent gets answered. No, it's not emergent. It's always there. And of course, like when you understand the enormity of that, where you're like, oh my gosh, it's in nature, it's in me, it's in 
every single atom. It's in the air. It's in other dimensions that don't even need time space. Consciousness is still there. And so you're kind of left with just the enormity of that. And I mean, what other thing could, what other name could you apply to that? You're kind of just left with, well, that's God. But it's all inclusive. It includes everything. The word God is tainted. Very much so. It's not a word I like to use in reference to talking to other people besides you. Uh, right. Doing it, um, doing a podcast in reference to the where is God is really just, I think, kind of a catchy um, title for, you know, someone who maybe planted that seed of, of, of the question of where is God um, on one side or the other. There are many spiritual teachers who, especially after awakening, they rarely use the words Jesus or um, or God just because of its rampant, misguided nature. It's putting God as something in a place to attain. And, and the only reason you would do that is for control of a lot of people. Because as soon as you have people under the understanding that there's someone watching that is judging you, that is making a decision on what's going to happen after you die, if you have that fear vibration it's game over for you. It's game over and and the whatever perpetrator, uh, the mind controller, they understand that very well. Uh, they understand it to a degree that is perfectly use that situation. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's one that, uh, I know that we've, I, I love the word to use Christ or Jesus a lot more just because God is, is, is even more tainted because it's, it's, it's like this extra far away thing that, um, you'll never know or never see. Um, and I've had even, like consciousness, I kind of dabbled in it, like what, what it may be as far as a, a place. But you ha we have to entertain the fact that like we are the consciousness God looking back for the sake of creation. For what, for without us, we can't, it's kind of like the full circle. Like without us, we can't, without observers, we can't see. And, you know, they're without our kind of being godlike consciousness, <clears throat> you can't have uh, a reciprocal relationship with, say, like planet Earth. 
Like dinosaurs you know, didn't have like a reciprocal relationship. It's funny because I'll just throw this in and you keep going, but this is just to drive your point home. Osho says something famous. He says that if God wanted to be liberated, he would have to be born a man. Yeah. Many men. Right. So to view um, from that vantage point, it's, it's like the evolution of consciousness to where we are now. And then you take into consideration that uh, you add in the different dimensions uh, that we know about um, those dimensions, you know, this one being experiential um, in one of the most densest 3D places that you can exist, one of the most higher suffering places, um, one of the lowest degrees of consciousness, you can see that for We've put it in terms of video game, but it's the most badass video game you'll ever be a part of because it's an ascension-based simulation that views itself in order to grow. Like, it's all about growth. It's all about growth. It's all about eternity. It's all about infinity. And... uh you know, I've always had the ultimate question of where it all started. So I feel like you have to have an initial starting point. Um, that's a question I have. Yeah, I've planted that many times, but nothing has really come in strong on, on that accord. Well, it just it. The, the evolutionary nature of it, because that brings up kind of like reincarnation, where I think that's a another word that's like super loaded that people have a hard time with. It's like it's either. You know, you have a a pretty intense reaction to that not being the truth, but it's just like what you're saying, like the. The project, like. In terms of numbers, um, it was that Alan Wallace guy I was listening to, and he was basically saying, like, we have 1% of the consciousness, and then so a baby born would have, like, 3% of the consciousness, and then as the baby moves on, it's actually sliding into more and more hypnotic states, and then, like, our our normal state is about 1%. And then, you know, he starts talking about like what percentages are achievable and what does this mean? But the whole point being like, these are small moves of conscious gain in lifetimes. And then it's like, well, there would be no point in, devoting your life to like gain a certain percentage of consciousness if you died and it was all over at that point. So I think like the people who really get on like the mechanical spiritual path, it's, it's like there has to be, there has to be a continuation because there's so much more work to do. It's like if you imagine a world where like um, everybody died at the age of 25, like you wouldn't have any like Wall Street 
badass broker company who's going to build all that wealth if there's not going to be any time to spend it and i think that's where you find yourself in in that relationship with god as you're moving towards him like you are in some ways like very far away from him but it's in your own identity and breaking down your own constructs and even when you get good at it like you still realize like wow there is a lot more to do there's a lot more to go there's a lot more of me to try to look past in order to understand the divinity within but you can see clearly how it's it's a much bigger game than what we're doing just in this life So the where is God leads to what is consciousness, which leads to answering the question, what is consciousness for me? And discovering what consciousness is, is kind of a revolving door. But uh, if, if I had to, pin it down to describing it in words, I would have to go with it's the awareness behind the thought. It's the um, when I meditate, it's the consciousness that I move in my body. It's the energy that I move in my body from my toes up through my calves, to my knees, through the chakras. Uh, consciousness is the observer of all of that. And what we talked about on the last podcast really hits home because we do a lot of stupid stuff with our capabilities as asleep people and what we manifest in our bodies and create all these manifestations of trap consciousnesses that you work through, through the, you know, the true consciousness that stands witness. Um, the where is God though leads to what is consciousness for me? Yeah, and it 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 is the thing that you are without the conditioning. It's it's the thing that you are before. It's the thing that you are but before all the reactions, before all the thought. It's that quiet thing you are that's not necessarily even connected to your flesh and blood. I mean, it's, it's certainly connected. There's a manifest, but I mean, there's, there's a whole nother system that the flesh and blood is downstream from for sure. 
but it's um yeah kind of because when you say what is consciousness and then it kind of goes into well what is spirit and i mean the quiet awareness i think is the is the is the best quick answer and then in terms of that quiet awareness becomes aware of the fact that so much of the consciousness is trapped inside. And then the only compassionate thing to do is to progress on the journey to unite more of the consciousness. So, I mean, the conscious, like, in the awakening, I mean, it's, it's just, it's a progression. Once it's realized, once it's awake, once it's aware of like, oh, I, I'm responding to conditioning on levels that I'm unaware of. Once it knows that, now it's on the path of divinity. Now it's on the path of trying to get past all that stuff. And that is the path of divinity. But it's going, once that path is laid out, it's going directly inside. It has nothing to do with going out. And now, I mean, it's the only compassionate thing to do with the self. Once the awareness is there, there's really not a lot of options in terms of staying true to yourself, staying compassionate to yourself. Once you know there's more of it there, that's all you can do is try to get it. So if we break down to a simple thought of temptation, that of evil wherever it started from um, you would say that consciousness has the ability to turn into an evil entity if improperly manifested. Oh, certainly. Certainly. So it just lower, it just descends into a more denser um, consciousness, which is more ignorant. It's the same thing. It just gets infected and lowers itself. What I'm saying is there's no way to escape consciousness. You either move to a lower denser, denser evil or you ascend to a higher, uh, lighter, clearer consciousness. Yeah, I, there I, there might be a third option as well. Like there's, and I didn't even come up with this one, but I heard it, it kind of rang true, but they were talking about like almost like a vegetative state, like a laxity that's so relaxed. And it's, it's kind of like a stalemate or a wash. Um, that was a Buddhist concept that I heard. I was like, wow, that's interesting. But I think for the most part, it is exactly what you said. It's, um, I've been actually wondering when I was going to be able to bring this up, but I think you just set me up perfectly for it. But, um, we've been talking a lot about, 
um, evil and the manifestation of evil. And so you have like what we were talking about last week where maybe like a young, a, a young trigger and a, and a response and an invitation. And then there's like this animalistic evil. And that's how you get to like these serial killer type characters. Um, but there's another, there's another form and it's what if you were intentionally exploring the mystical side of evil and there's uh, somebody specific that I'm talking about and his name is Aleister Crowley and he's um, he's considered to be the father of Satanism and his intention in life was to manifest evil and then he wrote about it that's why we know like what his so there's a bunch of books there's been a bunch of biographies and if you like google like who was the most evil man ever like it's going to come up alistair crowley and he went he had a huge tragic life i mean he didn't really understand karma um or he thought he did. He thinks he's avoiding karma by doing like other ritualistic stuff. But I mean, it all catches up to him in the end. Um, but he did a bunch of seances and a bunch of rituals, probably a bunch of sacrifices. I mean, so it went like as extreme as you could go. And he actually had property on Loch Ness and turned one of those properties like I guess it's still haunted today. And some people say that he's actually responsible for the Loch Ness monster. He has like a bunch of like rock and roll musician musicians who went to see him. And the idea is like, they sold their soul to the devil for um, notoriety and fame. Supposedly he could hand that out. Jimmy page from Led Zeppelin is one of the ones that was supposed to be, um, uh, protege of his and the whole thing though is he starts channeling evil entities but they're very very godlike and one of the books he wrote is called the book of the law and it's it's pretty famous like it's a famous text but it's a it's a channeled text from him supposedly communicating with an entity who thinks it's God. And it's so crazy to listen to it because you're like, oh my God, that's exactly what a trapped consciousness sounds like. It thinks it's God. It's up there. It, it has this huge grand view of itself. It thinks it's God. But I mean, as soon as you hear it, like, oh my God, that's a trapped consciousness. It's like as above, so below. So maybe it's in Aleister Crowley, or maybe he's actually channeling something that's out in the cosmos. I don't know. But either way, it's like, it's clear when you hear it, it's like, oh, that's a trap consciousness. But what's so interesting about it is like, when you investigate something like this, and the way that you and I think in terms of like the mechanical nature of spirituality, what you would expect to see from Aleister Crowley is like something that's the opposite of like what we know in terms of spiritual um, mechanics. And that's exactly what you find. 
So basically his entire message can really be boiled down very, very simply to two phrases. One is every thought you need to understand its opposite. And the second phrase is do what thy will. That's it. It all boils down to do what thy will. This is this huge entity. This is what he's saying. You can be just like me. Just do what you want. Don't listen to anybody else. There is no God. There's nothing above me. Just whatever you do, do what you want. And so you can see like the creation of whether it's in Aleister Crowley or whether it's in the cosmos, there's the creation of this entity that is super egotistical and all it cares about is doing what it wants. But when you contrast that to like divinity, I mean, because what what we're doing, like this whole project we've been talking about, like uncovering consciousness, untrapping consciousness within like you're. Another way to say it is as you're gaining more conscious consciousness, you're gaining more will. So you're getting more and more will, but when you gain the will, you have to surrender the will. Do what thy will equals divinity. Do what you want equals divinity the antichrist and it's so it's it is it's it's lined up perfectly mechanically do what thy will i mean creates this super entity super ego but you and i see clearly like the 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 process of gaining will is only to surrender the will And then, like, when you're doing something like, you know, trying to remember doorways or staying in the breath, you can see it clearly. Like, every time you mess up is because there's some entity in you that's talking you into doing what it wants. That's the anti-path. You should be, when you find yourself doing thy will, That's the most quiet, beautiful, peaceful place that you could ever be. Like, it doesn't require anything. You're just smiling at trees and birds and you don't really know what you're doing. And you're certainly uncertain about everything. But that's that's the divine. That uncertainty, that surrender of the will is the divine. Divinity explained. By Kane Sarter. That was beautiful. <laughs> uh, the contrast of the evil is, is uh, I haven't heard it explained uh, in that way. It's just we laid the groundwork for, even in, you, you, ha- you see it all over, you know, Twitter. You have to do your own work. Like, the only thing that you can do is do your own work to help shatter this mess we're in. And in and if you want to put it out there to other people, put it out there. But 
that ego entity work is difficult. Uh, it's difficult to go in because all it tells you to do is to do what you want to do all the time. Uh, and, and, and that's the constant fight um, in, in the constant struggle all the time. But for me, the breath work has really been a huge uh, game changer for me. I've had a lot of growth in the last couple of weeks. And uh, I can attribute that to staying in a more meditative state all the time. Really, really fighting back to, especially when you hear the conversations in your head, when you're in high pressure situations, you know, things want to take over. And uh, I just had some really good experiences where I just playing out was just you know, talking back to them with the most sincerity that, you know, that's not me. You're not me. Can't continue to, you know, stay, this voice can't continue to stay in your head. And, and, and I know it sounds strange as though you're talking to yourself, but you have to recognize that if you still have the situation where you're feeling two me's, then that's evidence of entity and as as far as along as I am on my path, or it it really doesn't matter. It's it's a it's a constant work in progress. You you can all of a sudden have two me's uh, uh, in in the next five seconds. You know, and it's just all about what you. And I'm not saying you're always filled with entity at at this stage in the journey, but they do pop in and they do t- try to take ownership and they do try to affect things. And, um, I just had some really, really good growth in, in observing it and just stating the facts like, okay, I'm having conversations in my head. I'm giving myself anxiety for it. There's this person and there's that person. There's two me's. And as soon as you can answer that question, there's two me's then that's that's everything because your awareness is working. I mean, Eckhart Tolle understood the concept of two me's right before he was about to kill himself. And he had his awakening right then and there. And that's where the growth is for me is really, really pinpointing it. Pinpointing it. It's sometimes it's so sly and it sounds just like you and you want to say, no, that's me. And But if you just are, can see your awareness saying, no, that's you having a conversation. Uh, oh, no, see, I just, that's two me's right there. And just that subtle thing, if you can see it and, and, and stand back and be like, no, you're not me. It's been, it's been a whirlwind for me, man, in, in my career. And um, the last couple of weeks have been huge for me. And it's all about, Again, doing the inner work, but really, really fine tuning as as though you're a mechanic and and being a watchdog within because trapped consciousness, entity, lower consciousness, the only thing they can do is feed. You know, they have to they have to grab attention. They have to feed. Um, uh, so it's 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 everywhere. And I think you get to a point where you're you're above all that, but. Um, I'm certainly not above the fact that 
that things slip in on a regular basis. But breath has been huge and and just really, really looking at things uh, very, very closely to see what's going on. And it seemed to have been a, a world of difference. I mean, I feel like a, a different person today than I was a week ago. Yeah, I think I think on um Gene Hart always says, you know, don't identify don't identify with anything. And I think the what well, I think we've really taken it like one step further and we've just like assigned the identification and we know we've assigned it in a um, neutral spot. So once you assign it to the breath, it's a neutral spot. Like it's funny with going back to Aleister Crowley, it's like for every thought there's this opposite. And then you have like the Buddhist, um, dogma, which is the middle way. And then you have the, object of attention being the breath which is a neutral spot but what do you mean by a neutral spot well you mean like it's not causing you any discomfort and it's not causing you any like elevated um exuberance like it's 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 neither so it's almost like this state of um i want to say boredom but it's like this state of you know, not happy or not sad. It's like in the middle. And so that's just your, that's just your guard, right? That's just where you can sit in guard. And then you'll know when something has taken you out of the breath, if that's what you make your starting point. So I, I feel like we've almost pushed that even a little bit further than um, what Gene's talking about with not identifying with anything and yeah it's it's an interesting pursuit it's it's definitely um it stirs up a lot of that stuff because you can start to understand like your will and how your will gets divided and it's 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 in very subtle small ways like you were saying but you know like I need to go home and eat a salad tonight. So like you've already set your intention, but then like, as you drive, I'm I'm home a little later. And I thought, I know there's cold pizza in the fridge and it's like, wait, whose will am I talking to now? Or whose will is, is surfacing now. And it just, it's over and over and over again, where like you set an intention and then, something comes up and like tries to talk you out of that intention. So the, the will is always like on the battleground. It's always being battled for, but the good thing about the breath and in that neutral spot is it, it's like you, I think you get like a much more clear um, observation of it because you're, you're you have a much better chance of staying 
um, aware of all the interruptions because you keep coming back to the breath. That's why when I'm listening to Gene and he's like, um, just don't identify with anything. When he says that, I'm like, man, that's hard. That's got to be hard for people to do. Just like, like don't identify with anything. Like that's, and I love Gene Hart and I'm not trying to um, criticize him in any way. But when I compare him to like Alan Wallace on this particular topic, I think you're way better off aiming the attention at a neutral spot. You want to tackle anything on the lust? I know we've had a we've we've had a many conversations about this being like the the alpha and omega of the of the uh, evil side and 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 how it is really uh, rooted in 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 a lot of things. Um, but you you definitely talk about that very well. Um, Well, it's just, I mean, in terms of riling up the ego, in terms of, you know, stirring stuff within, I mean, you have two points of attack and that that directly go against your nature and go against your form, your matter, your cells in your body, and that you can attack with food and you can attack with sex. I mean, those are, those are the two where there it's a constant flow of nourishment and desire required from both of those things. Um, so any restriction on either one is going to have the effect of sending desperation calls to the legion inside and i i one of the interesting things that i'm just now getting on and i'll throw to you is um understanding like the understanding the loss of will or the like you were saying the conversation with yourself but understanding it on three levels understanding it in the head and in the heart, and then in the root. So for every ego, for it to be dissolved, you have to have understood it in the head, in the heart, and in the root. So, you know, this week I did a 40-hour fast. Yeah. And that was um I'm on I'm on I'm actually on the fence about it because I've I've been in different spots uh about fasting and whether or not it's is is it worth doing? Is it not worth doing? Is it is it worth starving your body of uh valuable nutrients that would be able to, you know, allow you to to meditate and and why would why would you do that why would you take the ability for your body to 
perform at peak levels, even if it's something as simple as meditation or staying aware or, you know, um, and I'm on the fence about it. I mean, I, 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 I'm on the fence. I really don't know. And I, I don't know if I'm going to push deeper or if not, but I, I do feel like it's the thing for me right now. Uh, so Saturday night, I think I stopped. I had the last meal at like eight o'clock and, uh, I didn't eat anything Sunday and it went all the way to Monday till was it 12 or 1 PM was 40 hours. And something that I've always felt very comfortable with is being hungry. I'm not sure why, like I always do 16, eight every day. Um, I seem to do it when I was a kid and I thought I wasn't normal because everybody said breakfast was the most important meal of the day, but I, I never wanted to eat it. So now that, you know, 16, eight seems to be like, well, I mean that a lot of people are doing that. That may not be a bad idea. Um, anymore and breakfast maybe just you know an advertising ploy to sell more cereal and milk i don't know but um it as far as especially on the 16-8 i don't have any um issues with focus or you know not eating anything, so I'm not performing at a peak level. It's it's one meal, so you could say I'm pretty dang sharp in the morning, even though I haven't eaten. So it's not that. Um, when you get into 40 hours, that Sunday I went through, which is a pretty good time to stop eating Saturday night and go through Sunday into Monday, kind of good for my schedule. Um, so, yeah, Sunday I was hungry. It didn't affect any um, – uh, meditation routines or clarity. Um, you know, I did get to the point where I was lightheaded and, um, what it did for me is like, I think I told you on the phone, it's like discipline, um, seemed to go into different areas like, uh, lust or sexual desire or, um, that seemed to be because I was committed in this one area and I was like behaviorally disciplined, like everything spiritually lined up as behavioral disciplined. So it gave me discipline And if that's not saying I don't have discipline without, but you, it is literally no like temptation is what I'm trying to say. Like when I was fasting, like there's no like, thought to like jump into to like a tempting temptation it's just not as prevalent there i guess because you're so focused on you know sitting through your hunger pains I, I don't know what it is um but i i think there's something there and if i think there's um a lot there for me more to do on discipline um i'm I'm, uh, I'm willing to go down that road for longer ones. I know, I, I think I want to experiment with a three day fast. Um, but I'm in limbo land kind of with it. So this is a good experience though. I think, I mean, you got to think though, like that, but see, here's the thing. Maybe I'm proving my own point. I just told you like, I'm a different person today as far as growth wise. And what's the one thing that changed? 
I had a 40 hour fast this week. Yeah. I had a 40 hour fast this week and I feel like there was a ton of growth. So maybe I'm answering my own question. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I don't know. And I mean, what does it seem like a pain in the ass to like imagine doing it again? I mean, no, not for me. I can see, I can see a routine. I can see a routine on that Saturday night and, you know, just use the Sundays, like the Sabbath, you know, that's that day where I just refrain from food. You know, Sunday's a good day. You're you're not doing too much strenuous activity on a Sunday. It leads into a Monday where I work from home so I can, you know, eat that first meal at 12 or one o'clock. I can see my getting in the habit of doing a 40 every week if it's going to be advantageous for this, for the spiritual path, I'm wondering if I need to push it further though. And then when you push it further, you really got to look at your schedule, you know, how, when can you do this? When can you pull it off? It's probably more just packing it up one more day and just, you know, starting on, on like a Friday after you eat dinner and just taking that all the way to Tuesday, which that's doable with my schedule as well. I'm on the fence about pushing it further. I think I can incorporate that 40 every week. Yeah. It's interesting. I mean, in terms of like catching yourself there, um, it reminds me of, it reminds me of like, I feel like I've really gotten cozy with, um, a sloth demon at night, I think. Um, and it, it just, that whole situation that you just went through just reminded me of it. Cause it seems so similar and it's, it's like, it's their method of operation. And like, first thing, like when you say sloth demon, like, my first reaction is, Oh, that's not me. Like that doesn't pertain to me. Like I'll admit to like a lot of the seven deadly, but sloth like that, that one's, that one doesn't pertain to me. So you automatically like take it off the table as if like you have some kind of magical immunity to it. But that's just because like I work, I work all the time. My responsibilities are off the charts. I'm super busy. Like nobody can tell me I'm lazy and slothful. But that's not where the sloth demon like gets cozy with you. It's literally like when you're sleeping and then like you try to set your will. So like one of the projects I was on was um, on the 90 second sleeps or 90 minute sleep cycles. And the idea is like you just set an alarm when you go to bed trying to like jar yourself awake in 90 minutes and then you could set the alarm again and then you could do that throughout the night. So you're naturally on a 90 second or sorry, I keep saying second, it's minute, 90 minute sleep cycle. And if you have that sensation of like sleeping all the way through the night, that's probably not what happened. You're just not remembering the fact that you woke up multiple times. And when you set the alarm, even that first one, it's like, and you wake up, like you are fighting for will 
Like that thing is saying all kinds of stuff. Like that dream wasn't important. You don't need to write that down. Like you'll remember that in the morning. Like it's, it's doing everything it can to get you to stop with your will and just go back to sleep. It's really unbelievable. It's, it's, it's complete possession, but it's possession that you, the only reason you can notice it is because of how clear you set your will before you start to go to sleep. So you can do like a nice long meditation, set your intention. I'm planning on doing this. I'm doing this and I'm doing this. And then as soon as you fall asleep and you're groggy and you try to start to put the plan in motion, this thing is talking you out of it in every way it possibly can. But the, what you just did there, like was the same, it's the same operation. It's like it, it just, it talks you out of where your will is set. Just like you just said, I mean, you said, you know, you, you feel different this week, but then when you look at your own, your, your own, um, devotion from the week, like you don't give the credit to like the new devotion, but that's clearly not you. Like that's, that's a system in there that's creating a divide. And then the other place you see it all the time is in the lust. And I like the sloth demon because it, it's, it's so me when it's happening. It's like, I'm identified with it to such a degree that it's unbelievable. And that it's almost the worst one out of all of them. Because all you want, you got to work in the morning. You know, you got tons of stuff to do. It's two o'clock in the morning. Just go to sleep. Like it's a, it's a very, very powerful identification with that entity. Yeah. I've, I've missed, I've missed some things. I've, I've, I was consoling some woman and I knew what it was and, uh, uh, told myself, I told myself to, to, I told myself to go back to sleep. Yeah. Uh, there's two, two me's there. That's a tough one. It's a tough one because there's, there's a, it's like a gatekeeper over there. And, um, I'm 100% sold on the two different awakenings, you know, one having how we've had here in the 3d and then finishing it off on that side. Um, to a degree where it's happening on a regular basis. And, uh, lately it's just been, you know, looking at your psychological city and, uh, trying to work through that wheel. Um, I'm doing very well with my biological clock because I'm, I'm waking up that first 90 minutes. I'm doing horrible on the latter four because <laughs> you get into those sleep rounds and um, 
I'm I'm waking and I'm I am just obliterating any of my will to write down. And it's so easy to do because when you have it in your memory, you think it's going to stay in your memory and it doesn't. Uh, One thing that did help me is I started to write down one word, like when that, that woman, the impactful dream I had with the jump, I wrote down like one sentence because I did not want to forget that because it was so impactful. So there's things I can do. Like if I'm start writing in a dream, I can just start writing a book. So not making it too overwhelming, writing down a, some keywords. Last night, I had a dream about a black spider. Have you done any research on that? No, I... I I wanted to, but I didn't. So I was in a space in another building. I can't recall much of what was going on in that, in that spot, but the most impactful part of the dream that I could remember was, uh, I walked to, uh, I opened the door to a back porch and I looked down and there was a black spider black as black can be. And I was like, damn, that's a big ass black spider. And I was like, you know, same thing. If you saw a big black spider in your house, you'd be like, dang, I got to kill that thing. So I was taken back, somehow left the door open. I walked back about 20, 30 feet and spider actually got in the house. And I saw it crawling like, damn, let the spider in the house. And I'm like, oh, shit, I got to I got to kill this spider. So I go to try to kill it, and it's a big spider. It can't get lost in the carpet. In the dream, it got lost in the carpet. I couldn't find it. So there's like three things going on there. One, that you see a black spider. Two, are you afraid of it? Yes, I was afraid of it. And three, did you try to kill it, and were you successful or not? So there's three different things with meaning there. A lot along the lines of unconscious um, things that may be going on in your life that are giving you anxiety. It made perfect sense as far as what I had to do this morning for work. Like it's some type of unconscious thing that's giving you anxiety that you basically don't know how to deal with. And all of that was going on. Yeah, you know, I was, I didn't even sleep that well. I can't even mad. Can't believe I had that much of a vivid dream, but As far as that goes, what I was going through, I was creating something. It was unconsciousness. It was, it was creating anxiety for me. And I was viewing that vividly. It was cut and dry when, when I looked at the meaning. You want to hear my jump dream? Sure. That was my black spider dream. I had another meaningful dream that was, you had a name for it. When I said I was like that camera, what'd you call it? When I was like a camera on a football field? The overlook window. That's from the OA. What is, how was it described in the OA? So the guy that was in the house finally got the view from the overlook window, which just meant 
he was able to see from a higher place, like the way the dimensions were interacting. So he's just got, it's just like looking out a window or, you know, just like looking at a movie screen, but it, um, so rather than like first person viewing, like, it's like, there's a show being revealed to you. Gotcha. Um, so I had a lucid dream where I was, I think I described to you at the time, I thought I was, you know, the cameras on the football fields where they have these lines and they can move 360 degrees wherever. It makes watching the football experience a whole lot better because the camera isn't tied down to the sideline. So I was like that 360 degree camera. I didn't feel like I was a person. I felt like I was on complete observation mode, right? So I I don't even think like I can identify with like obviously I knew I was an observer but I I didn't have any recollection recollection of my body I just thought I was observing a situation and just to paint the picture I was if you were in a circus and you're watching something, someone jump off of a very high tower into a small pool as though it was a circus act. Uh, but it, this was the whole act of this was that it was going to be very high, like 200 feet, not necessarily that they were going to jump into a shallow pool, but it was going to be a small target, but the jump was like very high. So the anticipation from the audience that uh, I wouldn't call like, it wasn't an audience that I could see. I had the feeling that there was an audience. I had the feeling of anticipation for this jump, but I, I couldn't see like this big crowd. So I was anticipating, was she going to make the jump? So finally, you know, as she prepares to jump, I, I put my camera in my observation and in the best spot that I thought that I could view it as though I was like the production manager. So it's like, okay, the jump's going to happen. She leans down the jump, goes up and jumps. And then I'm like, well, she's going to start falling fast because she's gravity's going to take hold. But splash, she jumps into a tube of water, circular, going down to the pool that I couldn't see until she jumped into the water. And then, now she starts going down the tube, but it's water. So you're not falling very fast. So the first question I said was, oh, well, how is she going to make it 200 feet all the way down to the pool before she takes a breath? So I was thinking, wow, this could be horrible because she's falling like, you know, at the speed of however Sure, you can, you can let out, you know, you can let out your air and you start to fall faster. But if you let out your air, then the more you want to take a breath. So I knew that dilemma was happening. And I was like, gosh, dang. And it was a woman, um, angelic woman who was taking this plunge. So she goes down and she gets about 25% of the way down. And uh, I could see the struggle. Like she knew she wasn't going to make it back up. She knew she wasn't going to make it down. So she started to panic and then she started to bang on the glass tube. 
keep in mind, I'm not me. I'm like a camera. So I'm helpless. I'm just an observer. So I'm thinking, where's the guy that's going to come from that just takes a sledgehammer and lets this woman out? But she's 150 feet in the air. So is that even going to save her? Nobody comes. She ends up gasping until she's not moving anymore. And then as that happens, she locks eyes with me, the observer. And her eyes are wide open. I can still see them right now. And she's looking at me as though she's transitioning to like death, like another dimension. And this voice come through and it just soothes both of us. And it said, I can shape consciousness. And I was like, where did that come from? Like at the moment of transition, it was like, I can shape consciousness. And I was like, wow, that was pretty well timed for you to say that to the both of us to give us both some encouragement because I was helpless and she was transitioning. And we're locked eyes. So it's super meaningful. I know I talked to you about it the next day. But man, what a mean- meaningful dream for me. I think you you put it into uh, perspective better than than I interpreted it. Yeah, it did re- it reminded me of um, one of the devotionals um, just talking about um, the divine mother and um, you know, the mother is, you know, the birth, but also the death. So you can see it real clearly in like the Hindu religion. Um, She has a, a lot of, she, a lot of the characteristics of a bringer of death rather than of a birther, birther of life. And it's always kind of, I used to certainly like misinterpret it, but it's like, that is like one of the, um, one, one of the holy things that she does is help destroy some of those trap consciousness. And, I mean, so you say kill the ego, I'm, I'm comfortable saying that, but it's really like, it's an integration. So it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a gain of the consciousness. It's a gain of the will. And it's a, it's a service in the mystical of the mother of the divine mother inside. And it, it just seemed like I had just read that. And then you have like this woman figure and, and it's in this whole representation of death. And then at the death, you get confirmation of the control of consciousness. It just reminded me of that when um, you were telling me. And then the, there's always significance with water. Um, not chakra significance. So it's emotional, your emotional chakra. And the idea is it's, you know, supposed to be, um, it's supposed to be smooth and glassy. So when it's not, or if it's tubular, 
Like I've, I've had like whole buildings like crash into my uh, waters and stuff. Um, but it's when you understand that it's that chakra and it's your emotional chakra, although sometimes that helps ring some bells in terms of what the message is that you're supposed to receive. Which chakra? Um, so the orange one, the, so it's the root is the red, which is, um, I think sacral. And then the next one up. So in between the bottom one and the solar plexus, um, that's, uh, the second one down there. Uh, but that's the, where the emotions in the water is. Yeah, so it's been a wild week for me, and I had a 40-hour fast. So, I, yeah, I definitely think I've answered my own question because the kind of growth and, you know, death, they're, they're all point to progression and good signs. Yeah, I think anytime you're opening the door um, to your own dream understanding, I mean, even if you don't feel like you're getting understanding, just anytime you're receiving from there, it's just a time to be grateful. It's just a time to be understanding that you're in the right direction. Yeah, so I totally agree. And there's something between me and you. Uh, obviously, we have a lot of sync going on, but... Those couple first astral experiences, we we were talking and you're like, just do this and this. And I jumped right in. And then this past weekend, you're like, I think I talked to you on Friday and you're like, yeah, just set the alarm for that first 90 minutes. And it sent me into lucidity. Like, it's something about you just give me a couple like simple tips just just set your alarm for an hour and a half in that's all i did like and and it changed it changed everything it's and and that's how it happened with the astral experiences you're like yeah just just try this right before you it was so simple it was so like it was just do this and i get something about you telling me to do something and then me following (laughs) through and doing it like shit happens Well, this last one, you were describing what was going on with you. And I felt like I had just got out of that stage. So, I mean, that's really all it was is that. And that I think what's going to end up happening is like none of these states are like permanent states. So like you're, you're constantly like in some kind of cycle. And I mean, don't forget, like all of this has really happened very recently for us. So like, we don't really have any roadmap on some kind of like more long-term cycle, but you kind of, you kind of get into like experience time. And then, I mean, it can, it's, it's hard to recover from experience. It kind of goes back to like the middle way where it's like, you know, you have like an amazing experience and it's super impactful and it's super meaningful, but you carry that into the next day and it starts to do stuff inside you in terms of like manifestation. 
and it's not as if like you're doing anything wrong or um but it's it's hard to fight against what that creates which is sometimes like boastful or it can puff you up a little bit it can make you feel like um like you received something that like nobody else received i mean it starts to play tricks on you so it's it takes like a couple of I think it takes a little bit of time to understand like how to have one of those massive um, experiences and then also relax afterwards. I think it's a little bit tricky. So I know I keep finding myself in these cycles and, but one of the cycles is, is just like dead sleep. Like one of the cycles ends up being, I put my head on the pillow and next thing I know my six 30 in the morning alarms going off. And then like once that happens a couple nights in a row, then like I know, okay, like I'm in this cycle. And then it's just how do you break that cycle? Because that's. There's not really a lot going on there. It feels I mean, maybe there's an argument to me made that I don't know about yet that you need to spend some time in that cycle. That could be it. But when I find myself in that cycle, it just kind of feels like a little bit of a waste of time. Like I'm, I'm ready to push past that cycle. But the that 90-minute sleep cycle is key. And the way that the um the way that the ego dominates during the nighttime, which I call the sloth demon, like that first 90 minutes when you set the alarm. And so, like if you're going to bed. I've been going to bed wicked early. So if I like, go to bed at like 9.30, you know, you, you're setting an alarm for 11. Or maybe I'll set it for a little bit later, giving me some time to actually fall asleep. But the point being like the alarm's going off pretty quick. So you you set yourself up when you have a little bit more willpower to at least win the first cycle for the night. Like don't, cause it's all, it's me when you lay down, it's me against the sloth demon. So I want to win the first round. I want to win that first one. And, it's, and that seems to like set me in a better position for the rest of the night. Like once I've kind of set the tone. Um, so it, it helps me break that cycle of just, um, falling asleep and not waking up until the morning. And then you, as you move on, you end up hitting, you know, other cycles, but sometimes you talk and like, I can, I just left the cycle that you're talking about, but I think it's vice versa too. Sometimes I'm talking to you and it's you that just left the cycle that I'm talking about. Yeah. I think sometimes we, I mean, I've uh, had this experience with dad on the golf course of simplifying things. Like sometimes he'll tell me, okay, like where, where do where do you want me to put the ball, dad? Just tell me where you want me to put the ball. And then he'll say, okay, just draw it over those trees and drop it right there. That's the best shot. And then I get up there and I just hit the shot because someone told me simplistically, you just need a baby draw right over that tree and it just needs to drop right there on the other side and i hit him and then it was like 
well, all you need is a caddy. <laughs> I, just need, I just need a little birdie on my shoulder to say, that's where you need to hit it. And then don't take much thought into it. Just hit it. And something is there to be said because uh, whenever I get a direct simplistic task, then I just say, well, yeah, sure. I, I'm just going to be as simple as possible and, and do that task. And it works. The astral experiences were crazy because you gave me a couple simple tasks and I just went right in and I couldn't believe it. And I probably got caught in, caught up in what you were talking about. Um, as far as the reaction. And that's one, one thing to learn moving forward, how, how we deal with that, because they're so overwhelming as far as you wanting to tell the story and you wanting to share and, and, and it can come across and what energy is, is coming out of you when you do that. Like how helpful is that? Um, I don't think there's anything wrong with me and you talking about it. Um, but again, yeah, it's, it's almost like, something happens like when you when you receive it and you receive that kind of um uh knowledge i guess is the right word of 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 a different place and what you do with it and how you speak of it it's almost like there's some kind of universe law that we weren't privy to and maybe still not even yet privy to but um you know, we've talked about it, how you speak about it. And, and it, it makes total sense. I mean, you can't go to like, you know, a certain place that, you know, a lot of people haven't been to and then come back and, and think that that's like a great thing to talk about. Uh, if, if it's putting out the wrong energy, um, I don't, I don't, I don't know what the answer is to that, but I do know that I probably handled it incorrectly those just just with me personally within um because it, it was pretty exciting i mean it was pretty pretty profound experiences but yeah i didn't think there would be this this long of a gap before i had those kind of experiences again but um ton of growth though like there's been a ton of growth in other areas so it, it does like it's almost like you can't just keep going past 4D. Like there's certain things you got to, you know what I mean? There's got to be some kind of balance. You can't just go to like 5D every night and it'd be all joy and merry. Yeah. And it, it reminds me of the middle way again. Cause I mean, when, when you listen to the Buddhists, like try to describe the middle way, I mean, some of that could, because you got to think like these are like monastery monks. So clearly they aren't necessarily, I guess they, they could be dealing with some kind of depression type stuff. But the idea is like, you have to be just as careful with your excitement levels. And for them, I mean, they must, they must be triggered on that quite a bit because I would imagine that they're having some pretty intense experiences on that end and so it's just that reminder to try to uh 
I mean, what I've been doing recently is trying to like catch my disappointment early. And then if there is some kind of experience, then try to drive all of that excitement into gratitude. So the, it is tricky sometimes like you wake up and like one of your first things is like, I feel unsuccessful. And so you're trying to, you're trying to manage that expectation or that when you wake up in the morning and your expectation was, you know, I should be dealing with something new to write down and break through. And then there's nothing there like to work, to, um, catch that disappointment before it runs away on you. And then if there was an experience, which I'm going to be excited about now, take all that excitement and, and put all of my intention into gratitude for that morning, which ends up kind of rolling through the rest of the day, as long as I started out right. And, um, that seems to be now, now I feel like I'm more balanced to the positive side. And, and now I'm trying to figure out how to balance that negative side. Cause that negative side, like doesn't seem to have like an easy answer like that, where I'm trying to figure out how to stay positive, even though it, it, it didn't meet my expectations. Um, but it's all, it's really, really mechanical, simple stuff like that. It's, 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 balancing your it's like that yin and yang it's it's the balance of that um relaxation and tension you know it's 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 constantly working with that balance to stay um to stay grounded and it's it's certainly a um you know, working, um, trial by error. I mean, definitely making mistakes along the way and trying to figure out, um, how to make good on them. But yeah, I mean, even stuff like, um, repenting, which like, I don't even remember the last time, like I repented and I mean, I've done it recently and it was, it was specifically because, like, I'm not sure about some of the universal laws like you're talking about. And so if I find myself not sure. And when I say not sure, I don't mean as if like I'm repenting for something awful that I did. I'm repenting for the fact that I don't know if I'm treating it correctly. So are you supposed to be talking about these things? Like you said, I, I, I'm certain it's OK to talk to you. And I know that um, in a lot of the literature, I think we're very, very lucky to have each other in terms of like a lot of people talk about trying to find a spiritual partner. They they go further than that and say, get a spiritual group, like a like-minded group. But I think we're super lucky to have each other in terms of um, a spiritual partner that you can just confide in back and forth and trade notes. I think we're super lucky to have that. Um, but then there's that added question of like, what does it mean when we're recording? And I'm not saying like, I know one way or the other. <clears throat> I'm just saying it's possible that that could be some kind of 
universal law that I know I wasn't aware of. I'm assuming you weren't aware of where you have to imagine like what is somebody hearing when they're hearing about like some kind of fantastic astral experience. And I don't know what they could be hearing unless it was like so specific, like the gene heart channel where like everybody who comes to that channel is specifically trying to gain information about astral projection. I mean, maybe that universal laws on like on a different system, but for us, if we're, <clears throat> I guess a big part of it's like knowing the audience, but if it's, if it's moving people away from like spiritual understanding, then the universal law would not be in our favor. Yeah. I don't even know if it's about the actual telling of the story. It's what you just said. If the story moves people away, that's counterproductive to why we started this story. Right. So if, if there's any story that, maybe it's premature or maybe in the wrong platform that turns someone away from consciousness as though, or these guys aren't what they say they are. If there's any of that or, or any turning to, um, then the karmic value for that would be not, not good for us in terms of wanting to experience it more. Only because it's not really believable to someone who hasn't had that experience. And I totally understand that because me, even me as an awakened individual, when I listened to Gene Hart, I was, I think I'm answering my own question again. Holy shit. When I was listening to Gene Hart, no, for when I was listening to Gene Hart and he was talking about astral experiences, it before I had the the experience, I did not take Gene Hart as seriously. Yeah, I had a negative. uh, Negative is not the right word. I so I I heard Gene Hart in one of his. In, in one of his videos that was raw and he was talking about awakening and I was like perfectly aligned. And uh, I told you, I was like, wow, something about this guy, as far as um, his raw authentic nature. And then without having astral experiences, when I turn it on and I see this stuff, I was, you know, can't help but think that um, my natural, Um, I don't even call them natural. I don't, I don't even know what you call. It. I just say I just say I I didn't experience it, so I didn't understand it. And what that does is creates like it creates like these red flags against someone. Um, it's nothing bad. I mean, I I I didn't ever think that he didn't have something. I'm just saying when he shared a story like that, I didn't understand it. So when you don't understand something, you you tend to you tend to think 
negatively, I guess. I guess that's the only way thing I can say. I mean, I wasn't like waiting for the next Gene Hart video to come out because it's so synchronistic. I didn't then. So yeah, that, that says everything. It's all about the audience. And if I didn't have those two experiences, I don't think I would listen to Gene Hart. Now you're different though. Like you've taken to Gene Hart, no matter what. Um, I took to him too. It's just a different level. Uh, I, I thought on certain topics, he was out there. And then I had the experiences. I'm like, whoa, he's got this awakening thing and he's for real. Holy shit. What is going on? See what I'm saying? So, yeah, if someone has listening to us and then starts to hear me talk about natural experiences, I mean, if me putting myself in their shoes, red flags would start to surface and be like, just because of experience, experiential nature. He does. He talks about it at one point, and I mean, I don't, I don't know at all necessarily. I mean, I've been. I've been paying attention to him for a while, but um, he runs that um, Discord server, which is basically like this big chat server. And so, but it's all people devoted to, you know, like the Gnostic teachings. So, I mean, it's a group that's all on the same page. And but he put out a video and like in the video, he doesn't explicitly say it or anything. But I got the feeling that I I thought he was talking about like that group. And he was just asking that group to like just less talk about the astral experience. And he's like. And I don't know if that group like. Changes like is it filled with more people having astral experience? Because, like, if you are in a group where everybody's having astral experiences, then you could start talking about like common stuff. Like, what does that mean? Has anybody seen this? Oh, I've seen that too. You know, there is stuff to talk about if everybody's having the experience. But if the group it just has like some people having the experience, and then a lot of other people trying to have the experience. Like then like that changes the dynamic. So I feel like he's almost like dialing it back and forth, like depending on like where the group's at, which totally makes sense if you think about it. But then like, it's almost like you'd want to separate it, but then it's like, it gets clicky. It would be very difficult to like manage a group the way he's doing it. But his point being like if somebody is trying to have these experiences and they just keep listening to other people having the experiences, it's having a reverse effect on them where they just feel infit, not acceptable, inferior, incapable because it is such a patient project. It's such a patient project to try to like maintain a very specific spiritual openness. And that state is, I mean, it's certainly fragile. And so when you're, if you're on to like some sort of um, 
negative impact that you can put your finger on and yeah you would i mean the compassionate thing to do would be to try to take that off the table but then when you apply that to like our audience it's like well our audience i mean who even knows yeah as um as as I'm sitting here listening to you, I'm not sure if we're looking at it a hundred percent correctly because the truth pisses people off. Yeah. So it really doesn't matter. Yeah. I'm just starting to look at it differently. I'm not, unless there's a specific universe law about talking about yourself being outside of the 4d, which very little people would, um, grasp that concept just because it's so such an experience uh thing like you you don't believe it until you experience it usually in most people um but there's a lot of people that you you if you speak truth and someone doesn't agree with you like someone is in a belief system per se and they turned you on you're going to create animosity and that's going to come back towards us like crazy. Like just on the, just on the ideas of God and consciousness and um, the definition of Christ goes against every belief system there is. So the wrong person listens to this or the right doesn't, the wrong person probably isn't listening for very long but you're still if you sent someone into a perpetual resentment cycle is that karma i mean i don't think so other i mean christ christ walking the earth spouting out truth was how, how do you define that under the pretense of what we just talked about as far as astral projection and talking about it because i mean kind of stuff that we're to where you live is not that bad to places where belief systems are very heavy. This is like people would get super angry just from listening to a 15 minutes of us. Well, yeah, the entire message is antagonistic. I mean, we're basically saying everybody is hypnotized. I mean, <laughs> that's a, it's a tough pill to swallow. Um, I see what you're saying there. Um, and no, I don't think that that's, I think you're a, with your own honesty and your own experience, I think you're allowed to push into that territory. Um, without any, uh, uh, karmic repercussions. There is something, I think, specific about astral projection. I don't know why I think that way, but it's just, um, it just seems to be a very common thread with any of the mystical teachings that go to the level of astral projection. It's, they seem to all say it. They seem to all um, kind of come to the same conclusion. And 
I don't even mean to say as if like I understand it. It's just something to keep in mind, I think. And that the only I'm not worried about any kind of like karmic effect other than like affecting your own ability to duplicate the experiment. Like that's the only reason I'm even worried about it. Is it just like if the consequence is it's making it harder for us to have more experiences? Because it does seem to like fluctuate. It does seem to like. And again, like I, I was saying this earlier, like we're we're definitely on some kind of cycle, some kind of cycle we don't understand. Can we tighten up that cycle? Um, I know we'll get back into another experience. Um filled cycle like that's coming at some point or another but there's something about i don't know i don't even know if it's karmic law but there's something about some law that we might not be aware of where um it's hindering your ability to have the next experience Yeah, I mean, just don't. I don't understand how Gene Hart would be as successful as he is with Astral in the title. But, right. I mean, it does make sense. Well, he's also he's been um, ridiculed. I don't even know if that's the right word, but he's been confronted. I mean, even by the Gnostic teachers and stuff, from what he's said. Oh, really? I didn't know. That. Oh, yeah. I didn't know. Yeah. That. Um, he was just talking about that not too long ago, how people were asking him, like within the Gnostic, to stop talking about certain things. Not just astral projection, I mean, even sexual transmutation. <clears throat> so I think he gets requests to, like, hey, cut it out. <clears throat> so, which means he must be coming from like a very well self-understood authentic place and not to say that like we're not but i'm just saying in order for him to maintain that he must be and actually one of the things that he has talked about is getting clearance from astral teachers like there's a pretty out there yeah. so like getting permission yeah <laughs> from from the system itself <clears throat> yeah. but it's not something that doesn't come up with him or he's that he's not confronted with yeah it's a tricky situation now that we saw uh <laughs> when we read those books we were like man this guy's got a pretty long timeline and now it's all coming clear like <laughs> I had an experience in 22 and then the next one in 25 and the next one in right, 2028. Right. I hope it's not that extreme, but when Kane and I were reading the books about outer body experience, we noticed their journal entries were sometimes years apart and only leave, lead you to believe like, man, there was a lot of gaps in those years. And this guy that wrote the book over, you know, 30 years was, It would be like oh oh three and then an oh five. It's like, well, nothing happened in oh four. Like you sat on this for a year. Um, 
hopefully it's not like that, but I, I feel good about my patients. I feel good about where I'm at. I feel good about the growth and um, what I need to do at night. Uh, it's It's been a good week, but I, I feel... I feel good about not anticipating um, what's coming and, and trying to back off that expectation. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm, I don't think it's going to be that few and far between. I think you're just honing in on some psychological city stuff that uh, I really, really, really feel like that stuff is being worked through and that once you know, once you get to the other side of that, um, you're, you're not ready for everything at one time. Um, but I feel really good about what's going on in this lucidity. It just feels like there's a lot of, a lot of things on that awakening that are happening to allow the awakening on that side. And, uh, it's all I can say is I just have a really good feeling about where we're at and the path that we're on. Have your dreams been active? Do you have any dreams to share from the past week? Yeah, they're definitely, they're definitely active. It's, um, all over the place. Yeah, it's, there's, I think I've found, <clears throat> kind of an interesting doorway where it ties into like the lust where <clears throat> and like just for like clarification because uh, we throw around words like celibacy and abstinence and stuff like where I was before it was I looked at sex in terms of like just a physiological thing and then like you can just read like men's health and stuff like so at that point or in that reference like frequency is healthy like cardiovascular it mimics exercise is good for the prostate like if you look into it like in terms of like men's health like frequency is fine so you put yourself on you put yourself on a schedule and that's that but then when you transfer it to spiritually and then you start asking questions like, oh, is there energy conservation possible through this project? So now you're just going against your frequency. So instead of frequency, you're trying to like go for longer periods of time in abstinence. So it's not, I mean, I'm not a monk. I'm not celibate. I'm just, I've, extended so it's like sexual fasting like i've just extended the periods of time but i've actually extended them by quite a bit in terms of like where i was before so i go at at times like two and uh three weeks i think i've gone like a month um not that long ago and then resets right so you get this like long period of um, abstinence or for me it was, a, it was a long period of abstinence. And I know it is because like it goes against where I had set myself before 
physiologically with the frequency. Now, it's not, it's nothing like what I thought in terms of like, it's not like um, a nagging craving or something like that in the waking hours. Like, it's not like that at all. It's, it, that part is not difficult. What's very, very interesting is what happens to you at night. Like, and that's where like it all crashes into you. But I know like in Dante's Inferno, um, lust is the first layer of hell. And I do think it makes sense. It seems like there's a doorway there where, um, because in the dream state, like there's, there's, and I don't know like how many people like even remember dreams and stuff, but one of the things when you start looking at your dreams and remembering your dreams, one of the things that you first start to see is like, oh, like there's, there's no physical form to the lust. Like it's not, it's not like a thing of form. So it's like, it's just the idea. And, but you can see it, you can see it. Like when you compare it to like the waking lust, I mean, it ends up being like a very physical, intimate thing with your partner. But in the dream world, like that physicalness isn't there. And so you can kind of start to see through it. And so you, it's kind of like this lucidity trigger now because I'm there, but it's like, it's just an idea. Like there's no like physical progression to the thing. So it's like, and you get this clue of like, oh, and then you can walk away from that and you can, what I think you're doing is proceeding through the first layer of hell into the bottom layers of hell. That's definitely what it feels like. And from there, um, you can start. I'm trying to hold on to the lucidity and trying to um, remember experiences, trying to fight, you know, the sloth demon when you wake up. But I see myself clearly getting through that door constantly now. And, um, I mean, I think down in there is like where some of the much more interesting trapped consciousness is. You can certainly reveal them on the, on the lust level as well. Like you, you'll get trapped in different ways. Like one that just happened recently was like sympathy. It's. Like you identify with the fact that you're being sympathetic. So maybe somebody that you like haven't seen in a while. And it's you talk yourself into like, I'm being sympathetic to this situation. And it starts to play out. And then you're like, wait a second. You just you're using sympathy. To fulfill this craving. And it's like, oh. And then like the whole thing, like there's nobody there but you. 
And so you're, you're waking up to yourself and you're like, Oh, oh yeah, that w- I get it. I was using sympathy to justify that craving. And so you're constantly popping yourself out of these little, <clears throat> these little traps, but it's, it's a, um, It's it's definitely one of the ways to um, create some desperation in that subconscious to have it start to bubble up. And I don't know, that's that's where I've been working. You've manifested a lot over the years, huh? That's what you say. <laughs> Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. You got a lot of work. You got a lot of yeah. to go. To, oh yeah, I'm aware of that one. Uh, okay, yeah, I'm aware of that one. What's tonight? Yeah. Oh yeah, I did that yeah. one. <laughs> <laughs> How many of these do you have to yeah. go through until you get yeah. crystallized? <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it's. I mean, you can. The way uh, Gene Hart was talking about it, you can see that like there's there's some of the manifestation that leads to other ones. Like you can see how um, like through some of those is the path to anger. So like one way to say it would be like internally like you would have learned anger through like some mismanagement of like think you were being slighted over sexual rights and then you get like this really good view of oh like that's where i built the highway into anger so you're trying to it's like this jump off point where you start to see the inroads to the other ones as well and um Anger was a big one. I saw a clear path to uh, anger for sure. But you don't, when you, in that unconscious state, you don't make the connection from the anger back to the lust. Like you need to, that needs to be like in a full awareness to like start to draw those, to try to map it out map out the manipulation, map out like where things started to program themselves inside of you. Yeah, it's a constant work in progress. Mine seemed to be either unaware or something meaningful like the divine mother or an object like or an animal like a a black spider and or an astral like one of the three so but 80 percent of the time 
you know, I'm seeing those unaware places that, that I've created, but every once in a while, one meaningful lucidity pops in. It's like, whoa, I, and, and the awareness feels like it's there. It's just not aware, like in like an astral body kind of way, which is the same experience that I had right before those, when I had you in like, what you would say a demon house, I was grounded. That was like, telling me that I'm close. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's coming around again, I think. Yeah. It, sometimes it doesn't even feel, it's like, cause I had another one where, um, like I had a bunch of friends in town and, <clears throat> I was making this big deal out of the fact that I was going to have a drink and it, I just woke up and it was, it was hilarious. Like I would like, nobody cared that I was going to have a drink and it's like, there's not a situation where there's going to be like a big friend reunion up here for crying out loud. So it's completely hypothetical, but how quickly the subconscious wanted to use that as justification to have a drink. It was just, it's re, so it's, it's like on the level of like these. So in terms of like awakening and um, like directing your own path, like the first thing, I think we did correctly. Like you want to, you want to check like all your vices, like those things, you know, you're not supposed to be doing, but you're doing them anyway to manage your own psyche. And so there's, that's the alcohol gone. But then the way you can see the way that the subconscious wants to bring it back up to you, but it's weird. It's like, there's a part of me, like, I didn't drink. I haven't had a drink. I've, I got, like, I got, like, bottles for Christmas and stuff, and they're still sitting in my dining room. Like, I have not had a drink. Like, why Why am I having a drink in my dreams? So it's very, 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 very weird that um, it still bubbles up. But it bubbled, the point being, like, it bubbles up, and it's like, there's definitely um lucidity that's happening there when that bubbles up i mean it's definitely because you're you start to ask yourself like you've put a lot of time and effort in this you're just gonna have a drink because there's a couple of people here like you know what i mean it's like you can see the old conversation you're having in your head but the whole thing's happening in a dream that's what i mean like that really stirs up but now, like, I feel like I'm on to the system that would make me drink if I were going to. You know what I mean? Like, I got a head start on him. I've already seen him coming. And so you can start to, like, understand how he's going to present the craving to you. Remember we talked about like the levels of awareness and that's the one where it's like, I'm aware of how he's going to try to infiltrate. 
so you're it's not like you're dissolving stuff or you're like but you're you're gaining awareness on how the system is going to try to get you and there's a ton of that on the lustful side as well where you just see the way that you justify and you see the way like you you say it's like this but then you realize it's just selfishness. You say you're doing it because of this, but it's just selfishness. And then every time you learn one of those, you become more and more guarded in terms of, not that you need like the, um, not the, I mean, we're married men. It's not, it's not like we're trying to um, escape some kind of like morality in um, sexuality, but like from what Jim Hart's tried to explain, you can catch yourself like planning it out. You know, you can catch yourself like trying to set it up. And that's what the dreams do. Like they reveal like these little inroads and they, when they start to manifest in your waking world, like you have a little bit of a head start because you've already seen their tactics. Gain full awareness and find out where God is. Oh. 